Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Oh, Matthew, how's it going? What have you been up to lately? I know you've been doing a lot of driving to and from London. Anything exciting going down? I haven't been doing a lot of driving. Catherine's been doing a lot of driving because I'm a total shit and and, uh, don't ever drive. Uh, (laughs) I just sit in the passenger. I, you know, I have this cute line about that I'm a very good passenger and, uh, you know, I work the radio and DJ all the different uh, radio stations to make sure we skip adverts. Okay, Um, that's a valuable role, you know. Yeah, but like, I'm sure Catherine would much rather that I drove for three hours, but I haven't driven in like... 17 years or something <laughs> um, <laughs> okay it feels like a bit of uh, risk there involved well i'm yeah anyway i don't want to get into that but um, <laughs> i always feel a bit bad i can't really moan about long car journeys because Catherine literally does all the heavy lifting and i just sit there looking out the window okay okay i want to do wonder why you're always so responsive to my whatsapp messages on uh, those journeys <laughs> Uh, my Discord message. That's when rather. I do most of my tweeting. <laughs> That's when you check in on the Discord, grumble at someone's opinion, then log off again. That's, <laughs> you know, yeah, all that business. So, yeah, nice to be potty again. You've been anywhere in Bath lately for a fun time? So, I went, oh, I had a milk bun delivered to my house the other day, and I know you're a big milk bun head these days. Um, yeah. And I've I... been to milk bun so many times that the last time we went, he gave us a free spread of, of side orders Fucking to hell. Thank, you, thank us for um, supporting his business. That's nice. You've completed your persona style loyalty quest with that guy that's uh that's good it's social links at 10 now that's fantastic <laughs> social links at 10 and i've got free coleslaw for days <laughs> okay just the coleslaw he doesn't do the cheesy fries then which are the best oh uh, no well he gave us he gave us a free coleslaw and free chicken dippers that's pretty good that's solid that's for free that's yeah, great the coleslaw, the coleslaw was good as well like if it was some kind of like shadow marketing it was a success because now i'm like next time we go i'm probably gonna pay for the coleslaw nice those those cheesy fries with the bacon and bits is the fucking nicest side I've ever had in a restaurant and I've it's weird because I think the burgers are just okay I had the chili sort of theme to burger this time okay it was just fine I thought but those sides man what are they doing with it that what what is that cheese that's like liquid cheese you can't I swear you can't buy that shit in Asda because if they did or Sainsbury's if they did I'd be fucking dead right now because I just eat that with every single meal I just put that on like a roast dinner because that's where I'm at mentally but isn't it the same cheese that you get, like nacho cheese? Yeah, I, I guess I guess it is, but it tastes less rancid than like the the <laughs> stuff you'd normally get with like Doritos or whatever. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's got like yeah. better vibes than that. Well, I don't know, man. <laughs> I've got to find out where they're getting that shit and then just exclusively buy it like every single week um, for for a year <laughs> uh, because that's what I do when I like something. But uh, damn, man, milk buns cheese. <laughs> Absolutely popping off over there in uh, Bath's, um, you know, uh, second best burger joint. So, uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, So, Matthew, there was one other thing I wanted to discuss when we got into this week's episode. A minor snafu on last week's episode. Oh, here we go. I don't want to go into it too much because I feel that I'm partly responsible for this. It's a small thing, but do you want to clarify the Mario thing? Yeah, so I recommended buying on Wii U before the Wii U eShop closed uh, the virtual console game boy advance version of super mario brothers 3 because the virtual console version has the e-reader downloadable levels as part of it and so is the only way of getting those in the west where not all those cards were released but as it's now been pointed out to me by so many fucking people that is already on switch online nintendo switch online as part of their gba offerings and was just a blank on my part that's all it was 
Uh, I wasn't snubbing the Nintendo Switch Online service. Everyone knows I'm all in on that <laughs> with my family subscription. Same, um, same. I, but all I've played on that is Minish Cap. So if you were to put a gun to my head and said what's on it, I don't know if I'd be able to tell you outside of Minish Cap. So, um, uh, yeah, that's why I forgot. So, good news. You don't have to spend money on Wii U eShop, which, you know, is fundamentally a good thing. And I don't encourage it, really, even after last week's episode. <laughs> yeah, so... Oh, apologies to those who were who went out and spent you know six pounds or whatever it was on a Game Boy Advance game they didn't need to buy. Well, you can still say that they own it in a way that they don't own the Switch version. Which well, is... exactly. I mean, Switch Online could vanish, and then you're back to square one, and all of a sudden, Old Castle had you back. Yeah, exactly. Entombed <laughs> on your Wii U, exactly where you want to play a GBA game. So that's, uh, I, that's and, good. and Switch Online will eventually cease to be, and I will be right one day. Like, <laughs> I, it's it's like maybe twenty years from now, I will be right again, yeah. and I'll look forward to that day. And we will do a podcast. It will be whatever our 800th episode <laughs> uh, where I'll still be complaining about it. Do you think that people will be bored of our shtick by then? I think that it's possible. They're already bored of our shtick. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Fatigue is set in big time, I think. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. We did two Wii U episodes in a row, basically. Is that beyond parody yeah. for this podcast? It kind of is a little that bit. That was tough. And this month is like... A little bit Capcom, Capcom mania. And then didn't you put like the Shinji Mikami Hall of Fame in next month as well? So yeah, like, so which fun. is basically the same as this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except Rich Santon's coming on that one, maybe, right? Didn't he say? He would yes, do that uh, we we are in conversations. We our people are talking to his people, um, <laughs> and it's whether we can both align for two hours. But uh, if we can. What a treat, because you know, Rich, Rich has has some good stories about the great man himself. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but that'll be a celebratory goodbye, goodbye Shinji Mikami from Tango GameWorks episode. Yeah, I did like our our um, Platinum Games Hall of Fame, but it did feel like we, Rich would have supercharged the episode to make it like amazing. <laughs> yeah. So well, he basically just moaned about it to us, like behind the scenes. It's <laughs> so. like you could have come on, we invited you, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, the thing is though that like we we get rich for one podcast a year. Last year it was the Metal Gear XL episode. The year before it was the Metal Gear Solid Two um, regular episode, and this year, yeah, re- regular episode about Shinji Mikami. So we use our token and we spend it preciously. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to always, I'd love to have him on more. He's just always great on this podcast. But uh, he has like I know. imagine a, a lot of people listen to this podcast think you could probably get rid of one of us, replace it with Rich, and it would be a, be a probably a better. Pod, so. <laughs> careful Matthew there's uh t- talking ourselves out of uh, precious patreon money here but uh I think you are I think you are technically correct so <laughs> this episode all about Capcom prompted of course by the release of Resident Evil 4 remake which feels like a sort of major deal to me and Matthew in terms of our game taste and how it links back to our taste in games and you know there's obviously such heritage to Resi 4 just as a kind of connecting point between old resi and new resi and what resi Mm. still is to a large extent and so you know it feels like just such a significant moment and now that it's kind of on our doorstep i'm actually like incredibly excited to jump into it it's that thing where i've played enough resi for of in like the vr version in recent years to like get to get a taste for it and be like oh i remember what i love about this game but i haven't gone so deep into the game that i've kind of like reminded myself of everything so there is like a, a real sweet spot i'm going into um this remake with matthew how are you feeling about all that yeah I, very similar I and mean, it's it's kind of like a weird kind of time tunnel connection to 
you know, a time where I was like very happy in my gaming life and, you know, playing Resident Evil 4 back at university on the, you know, sit- I remember sitting in my um, student house on an incredibly manky sofa playing it for like the Easter holidays, I think. Yeah. Where I traded in some games and managed to get to get a copy of Resident Evil 4 for £1. Like the most entertainment I've ever had for £1, <laughs> for sure. And, you know, back then, you know, Capcom were like, my guy, you know, like, I, I love them. I love what they were putting out. And, um, like, I feel like they're, you know, after some rocky times uh, in the sort of 360 generation, they're like, they're back, baby. Yeah, always had my back, Capcom. Always had, like, good stuff for me to play. Uh, like, a massive, yeah. a massive formative part of my video game tastes. Um so yeah, we'll definitely get into that. So this episode, Capcom Games Draft, for anyone who's listened to our draft episodes before, me and Matthew are each going to pick 10 games from across 10 different categories competitively um, to have the best selection <laughs> of games that, re- that represent Capcom's library. Uh, but fuck me, what a hard task it's been, because that library is vast, and boiling it down to 10 games is is really difficult. So um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Matthew, I'm, I, I feel like you were probably sweating it over this process. I didn't take it that seriously. Then I got to Sunday night and planning this episode, and then I was like, "Oh fuck, maybe two of these categories don't work." And then start sending you panicked WhatsApp messages. How's the <laughs> draft process been for you? Yeah, yeah, it's been pretty tense because there are so, like so many ins with this. I think there are so many like crown jewels to be had. I think it's actually quite easy to pick twenty great games from Capcom. Yeah. If either of our games has any like true howlers in it, something would have to have gone very wrong. Category seven, Matthew. Category seven. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But um, but then the question is, you know, what kind of library do you want to build? And through the process of this competitive draft, can you build? Mm. You know, what do you want to kind of reflect? Do we like double down? Like, uh, particularly with this draft and our audience, because you know we love Capcom on this podcast. I imagine a lot of the people who listen to this podcast have an intense love for parts of Capcom too. And it's like, do you do you play to what I think they will like? Am I trying to create a Capcom for the ages? Am I trying to create? Uh, you know, there there are many different versions of this. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. I think like the thing that me and you are going to have to fight here is that we are we don't see Capcom through the prism of fighting games in the way that I think so many people do, and yeah. so our relationship to these games is just totally different. Whereas I think that like. If you love fighting games, you could do a draft that is just fighting games from Capcom. And oh, it pro- oh, for sure. It'd probably be quite a good draft, um, quite a fun draft episode. But but here, definitely, we've we've kind of created categories that more represent our interests. Is that fair to say? Yeah, 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 I think so. Mm. That's, yeah, like, I, 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 for most of these, I can have, I'm expecting to have something that I genuinely love, you know, like, or you know, at the very least have a lot of experience with fighting games you know i'll say up front you know i just i just don't have the you know the knowledge you know i've played maybe hours you know ten tens of hours tops of that entire genre my entire life mm. so the idea that like i have anything valuable to say <laughs> and when we get to the fighting genre pick uh the fighter in the draft like it's gonna be vague as hell and kind of embarrassing <laughs> and cringe <laughs> Yeah, I, that, that's definitely going to happen um, for sure. So look forward to that. So yes, we're going to do a bit of a Capcom preamble here, as we we want to do, and then section two will be all about the draft. So uh, yeah, it should be a nice, all well-rounded episode. So Matthew, yeah. something I want to dig into is your first encounter with a Capcom game in the wild. I'm going to 
kick you off with with mine. So yeah. my very first encounter was in an arcade in France where they had a Street Fighter 2 machine and I was just I had nothing to do on this campsite. A very fucking bored kid. A like extremely boring life. That's why I hoard games as an adult because it was very boring as a child. I went into this arcade and just sat looking at this cabinet watching the watching the different sort of like attract mode kind of animations play out as the kind of like the game just looped and looped and looped. And this like gang of French kids came in and like he one of the kids stood next to me like he was playing the game and then like he started behaving like the characters like when his character was beaten on his side of the cabinet that I had somehow beaten him and then he insisted I got off of my side of the machine and went to the other side of the machine so he could beat me that was a really <laughs> strange experience but that was my first experience with Street Fighter um very formative memory of looking at M Bison and thinking what the fuck is with this cop dude what a strange looking guy but yeah that was that was odd do you have any questions is about it, that is it called Street Fighter in in France <laughs> what be or is it called like well oh, I wish I knew any French I was about to say Rude the Fighter but that's rude like fighting rude <laughs> Oh dear, that's such a hack joke, but really funny. Uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, so that was a that was that's still probably my defining Street Fighter experience. It's like my sort of like AIM Bison beating his like real whatever, being told, oh yeah, you have to get to the fucking side of the machine now. Uh, really confusing, strange experience. But fast forward years later, Resident Evil becomes like the hottest shit in the world, and. The, much like uh, sort of a lot of adult games from this time, your Die Hard uh, trilogy and stuff like that, you know, Grand Theft Auto, as discussed in previous um, the XL episode, there were like there was this tendency of adult games to have to have this kind of like, you know, they pass around the playground in sort of hushed tones. This there's this amazing thing you have to go and play, and it's Resident Evil, this incredibly scary, uh, scary game. And so I managed to convince my dad to get me Resident Evil Two on pc cd-rom one of those giant boxes back in the day published by virgin interactive not a great port but it was so fucking scary to me terrifying that it seems Mm. almost implausible to play it play resi 2 the original resi 2 now and feel that way but at the time there was just something about the combination of these pre-rendered backgrounds of this like fucked up american city the way the zombies moved and sounded and the the different set PC ways it would surprise you. You know, things go, like, you know, obviously the windows smashing, that sort of thing. Um, zombies you think are dead, kind of getting up, that sort of stuff. All the, all the, the kind of tricks Resi would pull were incredibly compelling to me. And then I would say that, like, all of the original Resi games, to me, were kind of like these games that you would play four to five hours of, get too scared, or or find yourself up against the too tough a boss, and then kind of like give up from there. So that was sort of my early experience with Capcom games was that. But I'm curious, Matthew, what was your experience? I'm, I'm assuming completely different. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of strange. Like Capcom weren't a big part of my like early gaming life because I can remember being, you know, you know, whatever, like seven or eight and my older cousins who are maybe like four or five years older than me had street fighter 2 on the snes and i like because they liked it and they were older and kind of slightly mysterious to me like street fighter then was locked away as like oh that's the thing the older kids like that wasn't quite for me and then by the time that i you know was a little bit older and was making more gaming choices of you know of myself you know for myself i was you know it, I, it, we're probably into like the n64 years which is not where capcom lives you know capcom released three games on n64 i think like a port of resident evil 2 
a Tetris game and I want to say Mega Man Legends. So, like, our paths don't really cross in a meaningful way until, like, GameCube, where all of a sudden, you know, my natural excitement for the GameCube combines with this incredible announcement of this Capcom 5, these five exclusives, eventually not exclusives, but who cares? At the time, it felt like, yes, this is ours, this is, you know, this is this is the shit. And all those games looked so rad, I was excited for all of them. Um, that's where, like, I really click with them. But, they, you know, they were definitely, like, in my life you know, in weird ways that I maybe didn't appreciate, like, you know, playing licensed games on the SNES, which they might have had a hand in, like Disney games, you know, or we had, we did have Street Fighter 2 on the Amiga, uh, which is just <laughs> that not good? where you meant to play. Was that a good experience? <laughs> uh, so on the Amiga, we had the keyboard and mouse, and we had a terrible joystick, right. which just didn't work. It was a second-hand Amiga, and this joystick was really temperamental. And I, I remember all I could do in Street Fighter 2 was Dow Sim's uh, stretchy arms across the screen. Right. And you can, like, cheese your way through all of Street Fighter 2 on the Amiga with just that stretchy arm move, because uh, that's all I could do in it. So I know that for a fact. Yeah, so, like, you know, I just wasn't aware of them as a thing. And then by the time that I was aware of them, they were, like, on PlayStation. You know, I remember reading loads about Resident Evil in... Games Master and being incredibly envious. I remember seeing a trailer on TV or, or as part of a game show which showed Resident Evil 2 with the zombies coming out the morgue lockers and thinking, like, holy shit, that is going to be the scariest game anyone will ever make. Like, I cannot comprehend something being as, as like, you know, being in a, in a zombie film like that. It just seemed so tangible and real. You know, maybe I'm, like, making up for lost time from GameCube forwards, but that's kind of my, that's kind of my Capcom journey. Uh, the first time I ever heard of who Shinji Mikami was was when that Capcom 5 stuff kicked off um, because he was very much at the center of it as an initiative. I remember reading in, I think, NGC what these games were um, and mm. like, what this deal meant. And it was it reminded me a bit of like uh, the Rare, Microsoft buying Rare at the time. It's like a proper, this is a big deal that will shake the generation up moment that mm. I, I mainly experienced through reading print media, you know, and had to kind of comprehend it that way. That was quite... Quite an interesting bit of um, you know exclusive games shithousery, which we always enjoy in this podcast, of course. <laughs> um, and yeah, so from there, like um, my experience at Capcom, when you get to the PS2 PS2 era, Devil May Cry, you know, really pivotal game for me in terms of like um, shaping my game taste. Just like a bolt from the blue, you know, such a fresh feeling thing with its own attitude, so kind of exciting. Remember the first issue of official PlayStation 2 magazine I ever bought had Dante on the front and was like the review issue uh, with that game in it. So, so good. And then I sort of developed this Capcom obsession off of the back of the PS2's sort of library of games, which is so, so good for the time. Just an amazing array of stuff, particularly when you get to the latter half of the generation and a lot of that Capcom 5 stuff starts coming across to PS2. And I'm kind of snapping Mm. all of it up and it's, yeah, hugely pivotal for me. So yeah, Capcom, big deal to both of us, Matthew, clearly. Um, Mm. Did you you play the N64 version of Resi 2? I didn't, no. Because, like, I don't know, maybe in my head it, like, belonged to belong to another platform maybe the idea of like why would i play two i haven't even played one yet you know all the silly things that stop you from playing stuff and 
Yeah, I, I just sort of ignored it, to be honest. I have, I have no read on what that version's like. <laughs> is it good? I think it's legendarily amazing as a, a like a technical feat because they got... <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> well, well, there they got all... <laughs> Well, they got all the FMVs and like the dialogue on there, despite the fact it was a cartridge-based platform. So I think right. it was a, a like a heroic a heroic act of compression of files, basically, is my understanding of it. So uh, yeah, but I, I haven't played it myself, and I can't vouch for it being good um, because yeah, it was you know things moved on so quickly, and by the time I came back around to Resi Two, it was already available on tons of other platforms. So uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so here's something I was curious about, Matthew. Capcom is more responsible for creating these superstar designers than maybe any other japanese publisher and they tend to be a little less corporate than your standard spokespeople at least historically they were um what do you think of that whole notion how and why did these figures emerge your hideki kamiya's and the shinji mikami's and the like why did these kind of become cult figures in the midst of all these games coming out i think mikami is like quite a key character in that you know he's clearly a singular talent clearly a genius and recognizes that in other people and if you ever see you know Mikami talking interviews like the the amazing Archibald series where he talks about Tango Gameworks and you know one of his big things is about kind of like lifting up younger developers and there's a lot of evidence of that happening at Capcom you know basically the people in Capcom Production Studio 4 which was like his wing of it you know the class he kind of brings in they all go on to be like you know, quite big gaming brains. You know, that's where you get like your Kamiya, Shutakumi, uh, on the producing side, Inaba, now head of Platinum Games. Um, so maybe I, I, I don't know if, if that sense is like exaggerated because it happens a lot around a pool of games we happen to be really interested in. Like, I don't have the same read on like the fighting game side of things, like who the personalities were or if that same culture kind of exists. Obviously, you had like in recent years, Ono hmm. around like Street Fighter 4. You know, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I genuinely no idea what it is that that that, you know, in their recruitment that they find people who are very charismatic and talk about these games. I mean, the, maybe what we do know about you know how Mikami managed like Kamiya and Shutakumi which was basically giving them a lot of space basically treating that studio like an incubator for new talent and new ideas you know maybe that does go on at a wider company level and we we just know about the Mikami stuff more maybe they they champion directors more than than other studios you know it's yeah sorry an unsatisfying answer (laughs) I genuinely don't know and if I ever get the chance to talk to anyone at Capcom internally I'm definitely going to ask about it interesting I'll be curious to hear if you get such an opportunity at some point in the future um so uh yes I think the reason I ask this is because it is just a genuine point of curiosity to me because it seemed like right. Mikami built up all of this clout and then used that clout to do the whole Capcom 5 thing. That felt firmly like him driving that. But as time goes on, and like you say, the Archipel documentary and also um, some of the materials that appeared around Ghostwire Tokyo and Hi-Fi Rush suggest that his great strength is, like you say, mentoring and managing, which, mm. if you're being honest, like the whole thing with video game figureheads is obviously bunk anyway because we know games are made by hundreds of people. But there is something to be said for someone at the top who knows what they're doing. And like, right. you know what I mean? Like, But that that is what, that's what these figures are for, really. That's where, you know, sort of having some kind of reverence for them sort of makes sense. If you can identify talent and nurture talent, then, you know, that reputation is definitely justified. And so I think he's kind of like this guy who I see as this rock star game designer who then becomes like this you know like cool head kind of leader 
who has really like smart sensibilities. That's kind of how I always thought of him, for example. Um, mm. Kamir is a whole other chaotic um, sort of kettle of fish. Um, and Shutakumi may or may not be in a cupboard somewhere. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, but, then, you, but then outside of that, that little cluster, you have like Inafune, obviously yeah. a massive name with Mega Man to his name and loads of other franchises. Yeah. Uh you have is it Okamoto who's like Mr. Street Fighter or originally Mr. Street Fighter. Like the closest thing it feels to like is Nintendo in terms of like these very clear sort of delineated teams, these big sort of these big kind of creative names. But I don't know if like some of that is like superimposed by us. Definitely. That's like an that's a neater way to like understand these studios and go like, well, this guy made this, made this, and made this, and yeah. Um, but they definitely have the feel of Nintendo. They feel very open to stuff in a way that, like, you know, they end up creating like almost sort of like second-party studios within Capcom who are kind of semi-independent, like Clover, it, which feels to me closer to how Nintendo works with like HAL. For, or intelligent systems you know they there seems to be like an ambition and confidence there to branch out that you don't see in any other studio you know like sega largely kept everyone in board you know konami largely kept everyone in board you know it, you know it, it, maybe that nintendo similarity stands out because you know obviously there is capcom and nintendo collaboration um with is it i think it's flagship yeah. it's the kind of studio that's made uh that produces uh uh, the oracles elders and minish caps so it, yeah it's 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 really intriguing to see like how how those how those sort of studios mimic each other and like trying to understand i mean this is a side note really but trying to understand capcom's relationship with nintendo is like very very tricky because you know nintendo are kind of the making of capcom in some ways in the console space with the nes and like mega man being the hit it was hmm. and then the absence on n64 speaks to like you know what the fuck was going on you know like terrible and then they come back with this capcom 5 on gamecube which feels like a big like alliance again you know they 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 seem to like burn hot and cold in in many ways yeah i think that the sort of how long they've been in the industry is a key factor to this too so there is a certain degree of like i think working in print media and reading magazines you know you're sort of encouraged to dwell too much on figureheads and it's definitely something that yeah but like even to this day you know everyone knows you're not meant to do that but people still you know retweet Hideo Kojima or talk about Hideo Kojima constantly you know what I mean it's like yeah it's part of what we do but I think like the reason that happens is because you know say um, take uh Yun Takeuchi who's one of the executive producers right. at Capcom right that dude has character modeler and motion design on the original Resident Evil on his resume and like that's the thing is these these a lot of these designers and producers emerged from an era where teams were much smaller and they had direct impact on the most significant games that we've ever played. It kind of makes sense, I think. What is it that defines a great Capcom game to you? Or is there some kind of like ethos behind the variety of games they make that makes them an exciting publisher? Yeah, that, that that's definitely part of it. I think across all their games, there's there's they're very characterful. Like they're very character focused. Like a lot of these games have like big heroes who you can probably name. You could probably like describe a drawing of them. You know, they they. I think they've come up with like an awful lot of iconic stuff, and the, so that's that's definitely part of it. I think there's like a slight sort of element of like showmanship to a lot of their games like they're very big they're very kind of like ballsy you know there's they've got like big big soundtracks and like 
you know, title screens that like say the name of the game in it, which is always exciting. They're not really embarrassed about being video games. You know, like I can, you can still trace like a lot of Capcom energy from like the the eight bit and sixteen bit era to now. You know, they, they, you know, some of the genres obviously skew a little older and you know don't have quite as much of that. But there's like a a sort of silliness and a total lack of embarrassment about being video games and it's like these are worlds with like big air you know big ui and loads of artificial systems and ranking and combo meters and health bars like they are increasingly singular in their their lack of of concern about being like that which really speaks to me yeah absolutely they they don't also don't seem to follow any particular trends they say right. they like they seem like their games are always on a path of their own. Now, I think even when they get inspired by Western games that are doing well, that only really manifests as something like Dragon's Dogma, which is extremely strange. That is a game that yeah. felt like it was made in the wake of um, Elder Scrolls being successful and stuff like that. But it's, sort of st- it's this very strange, you know, very gamey title by comparison. And I think that mm. that's like what you say, that lack of shame about being a video game and the sort of like the tone reflecting that. You even get it when you see like the studio they bought that would make the Dead Rising games now closed, Capcom Vancouver. They very much mimicked the tone of Capcom games themselves in trying to like bring Dead Rising to life. It was this like silly side of things. It wasn't like a super serious narrative to tap into. And I think, yeah, that's that's a big part of it. The other thing for me mm. is that it's like it's the mix of high and low end games like the the fact that you can have a publisher that makes phoenix right as well as resident evil just seems like decreasingly you see that kind of variety of stuff coming from japanese publishers games with such cult appeal as well like the characters the Mm. worlds just like they're just uh, there's just something about them that that achieves this instant like cult status in so many ways like lines of dialogue and incidental characters like, you know, just that, that whole um, almost Christmas means it wasn't Christmas, Phoenix Wright thing. Like, this stuff that just, right. this stickiness, you know? Mm. I think it is like that instant cult appeal is definitely there. Um, mm. So I'm curious, Matthew, you alluded to it earlier, like the idea that Capcom went through a more turbulent HD era. How do you think Capcom's games have sort of changed over time? It, it's, it's tricky, because like right now, I think they're in a really good place, but they're arguably like a little bit safer. You know, they've kind of gone back to their you know, like four or five core favourites. And they're absolutely knocking it out of the park with regards to those favourites, I believe. But, like, there isn't an equivalent of uh, the Capcom 5 happening right now. You know, like, uh, a, a certain, you know, uh, they have lost a certain amount of talent who were maybe, like, driving new ideas and, in turn, that, that kind of frustrated other people. Like, Inafune famously left saying, like, all they want is sequels and sequels, and, like, I just don't want to do that anymore. And that's why it's kind of interesting that the few people who do remain, you know, kind of... It, it must still work for them, but I guess they get to work on the biggest franchises. It's so hard to say, because, you know, I don't know if, like, what what's happening now is just a reaction to, like, they, like, lost... They lost the thread a bit you know in the 360 generation and it's kind of hard to pin down like exactly what happened like 
did they just have a freak out because they were following in the footsteps of this incredible generation for them? You know, like they've literally invented and dominated a couple of genres over the years. You know, they've they've had a real hit rate and just creating the sequels to those games, they're sort of struggling to kind of make that step into this this next generation. They begin to like farm out or work with more Western studios, which creates quite uneven work, you know, Mikami isn't there they no longer have have that kind of incubator thing going on like you can sort of understand why but you know and and and, you know as we've seen with like console generations you know when you take a bit of a bruising you kind of either like die out or you kind of like regather and come back with a really clear idea of what you want to do Hmm. which is what they've done now and it's why those things absolutely sing so like in in a way the peaks and troughs like don't seem at all surprising like you can't keep that momentum of quality up forever and you know you you are going to kind of kind of kind of collide with yourself at some point whether that means that like they're due another dip now i don't know well they've got like they're actually making new stuff is the thing they've got yeah pragmata is a real game that's coming out they said it's releasing this year um back in late 2021 um so they're still making that exogenesis is this dinosaur you know like look like anthem but with dinosaurs and i was like oh right. you know i kind of liked anthem I'd, I'd curious to see what that's like so they are making new things but it's, it's true that like sequels are the backbone of what they do but when those sequels are this good it's sort of all right especially as like the landscape around capcom has changed so much in the years since these games were were huge yeah. it's actually welcome to have games that are so like focused on mechanics and really fucking good mechanics um yeah and and like you know that are relatively hardcore that's you know that's exciting to me these games have never felt dumbed down um for you know for a broader audience you know so yeah i and i should also say like my idea of how catcom did in the 360 era is like skewed by not being a fighting game guy like most people will tell you actually that generation was amazing because it basically saw street fighter reborn Mm. and with it like feels like it single-handedly renews interest in that whole scene yeah um i can't really speak to that but you know that's obviously a huge huge deal but if you weren't into street fighter it was a little bit like you know resident evil kind of struggling to match resident evil 4 (laughs) you know it was a little bit like his endless dead risings which is like not quite top tier for me you know it's a little bit Dark Void or whatever that was called. <laughs> hey, fucking leave off my racist fave Resident Evil Five, Matthew. Jeez. So. <laughs> yeah, Dark Void. I was wondering at some point I would be. It would be quite fun to do an episode that goes through every single Western-made game for, published by a Japanese publisher in the 360 era. Like, right? Just because you have there are two obviously good ones. One of which I may or may not come up in this episode. We'll find out. Um, but then loads of dregs and then a few interesting games it would just be that you know far down the line like let's say 50 60 episodes from now that might be a fun thing to do it's like oh front mission evolved is this good and no it's not but you know it sure happened right um yeah yeah, it was a weird time for sure so yeah i I do kind of share your enthusiasm matthew so what they got coming up at the moment obviously resi 4 remake is coming right up there's a street fighter 6 that's on the way with very distinctive visuals 
Exogenesis, which I mentioned, surely that started life as a Dino Crisis game. It seems weird to have dinosaurs in it and um, not be called <laughs> that. Um, Dragon's Dogma 2, a game that seemed like it would probably never have happened, but uh, you know that was a significant moment for um, friend of the pod, Joe Screbs, of course. Yeah, It sold like 10 million copies, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> 7.2 million. That is like, 7.2. never has a bigger lie been published on Wikipedia than that. It's just, or, or at least everyone has to have bought it for like £4, and that's why it sold that many copies. And there's a re-release of your beloved Ghost Trick, Matthew, as well, and um, Mega Man Battle Network, which is a beloved series of RPGs on the GBA, is also being packaged into some kind of collection for all formats. Mm. Seems like a pretty good time, right? Like, uh, is there anything yeah. that's sort of missing from that lineup for you? Yeah, Ace Attorney. <laughs> of course, you had one last year. Like, is it de- is it dead? Like, all the people associated with it have have gone. You know, Shutakumi is in the HD remakes minds. Uh, like, do we know if he's working or something? We have no idea what's going on there. Like, yeah, that that I would be very sad if that didn't happen uh, again. Uh, and I'm hoping that all these HD remasters and their seeming success convinces them that this is something worth pursuing. Yeah, it's sort of like it is hard to tell if there was something in development at some point. Then maybe it went away, and then like the yeah. thing. The thing is, there's a couple of other things, other sort of like uh, levers that Capcom hasn't pulled yet, like putting the other two 3DS uh, Ace Attorney games into one collection. Um, yeah. And uh, also, um, Apollo Justice isn't on modern platforms either yet, is it? It's on, yeah, I know it's on but phone. Like, but... there's, there's just no point getting people hooked on that world and those characters if, you, if you're not going to do something more with them, yeah. I don't feel. Like, I feel like you, there has there has to be something more. And um, like, is, is it just them not quite knowing how to navigate that there isn't a portable for it anymore? I don't know. Like, you know, these other games have worked absolutely fine on Switch and PC and home console. Mm. So, you know, I hope that's not what's scaring them off. I hope they're like, oh, well, without a Nintendo handheld, we, we don't really have confidence in a new one of these. Yeah. The overheads are surely so small compared to, like, any other Capcom project as well. Um, and just from how persistently they've put this stuff onto more modern platforms you would think that that's encouraged them that there is there is an audience that's willing to buy this stuff but Mm. but who is making it that's probably one area of capcom where you can go does this exist anymore which is the is the smaller game that you know we talk about the the years where a phoenix Wright could come out alongside a resi or a devil may cry does that part of capcom still exist or is it just the hd you know sort of re-release factory for a lot of these games that's a you know that's something that I, i think like the next couple of years we'll probably know if that still exists or not um, mm. Because surely that would happen like sooner rather than later. When was the last Ace Attorney now? Uh, like 2017, 18? Yeah. Maybe even 2016? Yeah, yeah. So a long, long time ago. I don't now. know. You got the great Ace Attorney, obviously, like a couple of years ago. Yeah. The, the re release of it. So. Yeah, okay. So I guess then, Matthew, um, that is pretty much everything I wanted to ask you about Capcom. I thought I had another question there, but I don't. So, shall we take a quick break and then come back with a draft? Yeah, let's do it. Welcome back to the podcast. So, the draft. It's been a while since we've done a draft, Matthew. Have you missed these? I think the last one was that deranged RPG character draft we did. Um, yeah, which and that was like a silly one. I think before that, it was the two PC drafts, which I didn't feel like I was on 
kind of like steady, comfortable, known ground to me. So um, <laughs> like this one, I feel like I can freestyle a bit more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, uh, I I really enjoyed those PC drafts, and I've been like agonising over whether we can do another one somehow. But um, yeah, they 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 are good. But like, there was a lot of me going like, "Uh, I'm picking this, and I've never played it, so I have no idea what it's about. (laughs) And like that that doesn't make for the best podcasting. Um, No, that was obviously prepping for drafts and like researching every potential thing you could pick is quite difficult. (laughs) Yeah. So which which brings us to this draft. So. Capcom games, we've got 10 categories here. It's been the toughest to figure out the finest line between what I think should be on the list and what I think maybe listeners expect to see on the list and where the heart pick should come versus the logic picks, Matthew. Have you had the same yeah. struggles with this? Yeah. I where, where I got really stuck, I just went heart pick and went fuck it. Like, I, I'm basically... I refuse to put in a game that I genuinely don't like. Yeah. That's, that's a rule I've set myself for this. Yeah. And there, there are a lot of classic Capcom series that I don't have any connection to. So I'm not going to do it just for the sake of, like, you know, appeasing the kind of weirdos like Mega Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Mega Man's a good one to get out of the way, actually. So I did buy um, a couple of the Mega Man collections that for this episode. I played a few of them and thought, <laughs> okay... These all feel pretty similar, to be honest. And went on Reddit and saw there was there was some agreement that like Mega Man Two was like a, a preferred one, and Mega Man X Two was good, right. and X Four was good. But there are so fucking many of them that I just thought I can't form a meaningful take on this. So I binned off the entire series, basically, not to give away my yeah. strategy here. Uh, <laughs> um, did you have the same sort of feeling with Mega Man then? Yeah, I just yeah. I... Mega, Mega Man's just not for me. Like I, I just don't like his jump. I just don't think he's a very satisfying character to move. I think most of the challenge of that game comes from him just being a horrible feeling thing, <laughs> rather than like a, a you know deviously designed game. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I don't know. I like. I, th- I think his impact is is kind of over exaggerated based on like how big this game was on this particularly in america and like i think it's a very american journalist exactly exactly Um, that's and like i just don't i've never really had any peers on magazines who are like really into mega man and like when those mega man games came back whatever 15 years ago like mega man 10 it was just a huge shrug from me and i'm sorry if that's me dismissing (laughs) something you really love listener but um you know I just, just fuck that guy. Yeah, I think... Also, also, Inafune is like a very sour dude. <laughs> well, he's like, he's quite an interesting, because of what he's gone on to do afterwards hasn't been so great. Like the whole yeah. Mighty Number no. 9 thing. Like it's it's tough, right? I mean, he's, his name is on so many great Capcom games. Um, yeah. But his whole like stuff about the industry was very controversial and i think since then he's kind of disappeared from view a bit right yeah he's very much the yuji knacker of (laughs) i knew that was coming he's like but at least he's not in jail for like insider trading i'm like you know kudos to him (laughs) and kudos to uh... he's a morally good person (laughs) (laughs) uh again it can't be a crime if it's funny um so (laughs) um yeah so i'm gonna go through the 10 categories here matthew um and just like kind of set us up so category one Fighting game. Category two, survival horror. Category three, remake. Category four, retro game. Has to be older than 20 years. Category five, dead franchise. 
That is an entry from a franchise that's been dead for 10 years or more, so no new entries. Category 6, Shutakumi. A game with Shutakumi's name in the credits. <laughs> Category 7, Ill-Advised Western spin-off. Category 8, Modern Classic. Uh, so it has to be from the past 10 years. Category 9, Wild Card. So something weird from the library. Not fucking hard with this publisher, I assure you. Category 10, Free Pick. So anything you like. Now, I'll go over those categories once more in a moment, Matthew. But um, we did revise this at the last minute because we realised it was cutting a couple of things off. How are you feeling about the the rundown here? Yes, I'm feeling okay. It's kind of difficult. There's a lot of these hinge on like years and how long ago something was. But Capcom have got a bit of a nasty habit of like re-releasing stuff, which makes it a little confusing about what categories some of these things fall into. Definitely. Uh, also, compilations. Like It's very easy to end up with... 10 picks and actually have maybe like 100 games on your console <laughs> uh, so we've had to like deal with that yeah so we took compilations out updated versions of games are fine so like you know your ultra street fighter 4s and the like which i'm sure matthew will be picking um coming up and we also decided that games developed by capcom for nintendo were fine that was a matthew uh a query and uh, but i think that's okay because capcom still technically are in you know you turn on that yeah. game you see capcom's name that's all good um, so yeah, people will be able to vote for the winner in the pinned tweet at BackPagePod on Twitter. Um, Matthew, is there anything else to establish about the criteria? It's who picks the the ten best games that represent the Capcom library as you see it? Is that what we're asking people to do here? Yeah, I yeah, I guess. I, I think you just look at the list and go, which one of these is for me, dog, and, uh, and then click that person's name. Yeah, it's probably like is a fine way of doing it. What you shouldn't do is vote on either one of us as a way of like somehow psychologically attacking the other person yeah like it's very easy to do this to like spite vote for someone oh yeah um, that's created some like quite annoying results in the past i think yeah. <laughs> you have to put aside the drama like yeah try and look at it kind of like as objectively as you can <laughs> yeah like the golden eye perfect dark thing where people voted against me is the kind of like sort of like yeah the sort of shit heel of the podcast basically <laughs> <laughs> they weren't wrong but you know it's still yeah i mean like rate god, the picks. god knows what goes on in the minds of the <laughs> listeners so uh, the idea of like trying to guide their vote yeah um, not not wise like yeah because i've got yeah, i've got a couple of like weird things in here which sound like i'm doing like annoying matthew plays for kind of like quirky votes but uh, I don't let that influence it. Uh, one quick question about Dead Franchise. Yeah. Uh, does that if it if it's had an HD remaster, is that a Dead Franchise? Uh, gosh, I think it still has. Or to... Are we talking about literally no new instalment? I think it has to be no new instalment. Okay. Because I think that's the uh, like they consider it dead. You know what I mean? That's the thing you take from it. Um. Oh, then yeah. again, like Onimusha, for example. Would that be considered dead franchise? Uh, oh fuck, that's complicated, isn't it? Because I feel like that Onimusha remaster came out to like no impact whatsoever. Um, oh, you see, I would say Onimusha is a dead franchise. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, but then I suppose, like, what I wonder if what you're asking is a technicality question to put one of your other picks into this category. And I like, well, no, I don't, no, no <laughs> not really. No, no. Okay. Um, uh, okay, how about no new installments? But you can, but if it's had like a re-release, that's okay. How about that? Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's fair. Okay, so yeah, no, yeah, so HD re-release in the past ten years, fine, that's okay. 
All right, yeah. cool. Glad we figured that out. I was quite um, chuffed with the category titles Shu Takumi and Ill-Advised Western Spin-Off, Matthew. I felt yeah. like that was very us. Uh, so the thing about Ill-Advised Western <laughs> Spin-Off is there are a couple of good games made by Western Studios. Definitely, yeah. Like, what you're trying to do is get a good game. That That isn't a success if it's a terrible game. No. <laughs> just because it says ill-advised, we're not <laughs> trying to get a bad game. I just want you to know, we're still trying to get a good game in that category. Uh, it, what it should really be called is Western-made spin-off, but it was <laughs> too funny t- to not like put ill-advised in there, basically. That just... To sum up that whole movement of you know Japanese publishers trying to appeal to Western players and then yeah. kind of losing the thread of what people liked about those those games, that's you know that has to be represented here because it was like a major chapter for all these publishers. So, yeah, mm. okay. One last quick reca- recap of the categories, Matthew. Category one, fighting game. Category two, survival horror. C- category three, remake. Category four, retro game. Category five, dead franchise. Category six, Shutakumi. Category seven, ill-advised Western spin-off. Category 8, Modern Classic. Category 9, Wild Card. Category 10, Free Pick. So, we're going to do a snake draft, Matthew. Do you want to like um, do the old coin flip? Yes. One person picks first, and then the next person picks two uh, entries, and then two, and then two, and then two. What do you fancy? Uh, Tails. Tails it is. Oh, so I can pick whether to go first, or... Ooh. This is like the hardest draft to give up <laughs> to give up that second spot, you know what I mean? Because you can lose a lot of key things off the board quickly that way. I wonder if you... Because like, there's a, there's one category where I'm like, is there only one truly great pick for this? I wonder if you agree. Do you think that's true for any of these categories? Uh, There's maybe one where I'm like, I can imagine what the other person might pick. Okay, interesting. Okay. I'm going to go first. Okay. Going to go... Category 10, free pick. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to take Resident Evil 4. Oh, fuck it. Of course you're going to take fucking Resident Evil 4. <laughs> Resident Evil 4 is the crown jewel. <laughs> well, no, that the thing is, there's like another category, I'll get into it when I pick for it, that I thought, oh, there's only one thing I really like for this category, so I should probably just take it. But I was just there, shortly before this draft, pacing around my flat, thinking, it's got to be fucking Resident Evil 4, right? Like, it's here we are with the remake. Why is this remake so exciting? Because this is a line in the sand for, like, two genres for the third person shooter and survival horror this is a game that changed transformed both those genres years in the making revised several different versions that were even shown publicly until it was finally finished this originally gamecube exclusive survival horror not not reboot but definitely like reset of what resident evil was starring leon s kennedy from resident evil 2 Got the guy's gonna go rescue the president's daughter from some Spanish mountain village, but that's not the only thing in the mountains. Watch out, Leon S. Kennedy. That's basically the part of this game. <laughs> um, absolutely rammed with ideas. The most like probably the first time I ever truly thought about pacing in a video game was playing this and being like, oh, the where every set piece pops up in this game, every single thing that happens feels deliberately placed and is designed to to thrill me at every single moment and. Um, every single action mechanic they've got in this, they find so many inventive ways to use them. Oh, here's an enemy that only responds to sound. How are you actually going to defeat this thing? And um, mm. amazing, thrilling boss battles with a um, a real sense of like uh, drama to them and sort of cine- c- cinematic in a way that's really fun. It's obviously not a super serious story, but it's a story that you enjoy as a player, I would say. It's like schlocky mm. in the way that Resi's always been, but you know, with a little bit of darkness to it, just great fun, like watching a fun horror film or something. 
truly top stuff. Has QTEs, but I don't hold that against it because the QTEs were goodness. Yeah, they're fucking rad. Yeah. If anything, that's the one bit of the the remake I'm sort of sad about. They're talking about like, oh, they've taken out all the QTEs. I'm like, I mean, they're characterful. Running away from the boulder, that's classic. Yeah, it, it is a rite of passage when you play any new port of Resident Evil 4 to figure out what fucking buttons you press to like do- jump out the way of that boulder when you're playing it. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone through that on Wii. I've gone through that on fucking... In VR, that was the most confusing one. And I, I just love that that's the ritual of this. This is like a perpetually available game. And like that's actually one of the reasons why um, I actually... The remake is quite low stakes for me. If it's, if it's not something I like... Resident Evil 4 is one of the most available games ever. It's on everything. So uh yeah. yeah, but still a classic Matthew. Um yes, had to be the had to be the game. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, of course it's Resident Evil 4. It's like one of the greatest games of all time. Yeah. Very very frustrating. <laughs> um you got two picks now. You could do some real damage with these two picks. Yeah, you, yeah, but I always you know me. I've got like no strategy. I've like the second <laughs> I have like options, I go to shit and I will inevitably end up picking, you know, <laughs> fucking it's like this is where I blow it on like Gregory Horror show or something. <laughs> well, that would <laughs> be a great like, That's a great wild card. What's wrong with that? Yeah, everyone's Hey, listen. No, I'm not knocking Gregory Horror show, but um yeah, like you know Resident Evil 4 is untouchable. I can't slam it in any way, shape, or form <laughs> to try and get people not to vote for you. Um, yes. Yeah. The one thing you could argue... An, it, uh, truly an untouchable pick. <laughs> yeah, the one thing you could argue is it's been so widely available uh, that maybe people are like... Maybe it's perpetually played out because people always have access to it. That's the one thing you can maybe level at this game, but yeah. that's not really the game's fault. So, uh, yeah, it may not even be true, to be honest. So what's your first pick, Matthew? So for my first pick, I don't know if this is the thing you're alluding to, but uh, for ill-advised Western spin-off, I'm going to pick DMC, yep. Devil May Cry. That was the one. Yeah, well done. I think there is another pick in here, which is fine. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, obviously, like, again, ill-advised is, is our joke category. <laughs> I do not think this is an ill-advised game. There are some people who'd be like, yeah, that's right, stick it to DMC. The Devil May Cry we didn't like because it took our precious character and made him all scabby looking. But, I mean, this is this is like... I mean, it isn't, it isn't just like Ninja Theory doing what it does best. This is Ninja Theory's best game. Like, just hands down. Yeah. Um, I think this is the one they really landed it. Uh, it's got great combat um, that belongs in a Devil May Cry uh, series uh, built around basically access to lots of fun weapons quite quickly due to different things being on the triggers but you know outside of that it also has a just a really striking visual style um which i think is the kind of the the ninja theory kind of impact on this game um just really out there kind of like artistic representations of sort of like modern day villainy obviously the classic example of this is fighting the kind of fox news-esque hate preacher in the boss fight it just it 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 like whatever happened at the time i think this is now just accepted and known when you put aside all the bullshit this is just a really really good game it has it it has something unique to say within the devil may cry series that doesn't mean to say i think it is the best devil may cry it it, but it absolutely stands alone as just a just an incredibly successful experiment and um you know in a period where farming out stuff didn't always work for capcom this one totally did yeah made one of the best devil may cry games in cambridge that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah i think that that's what sets it apart visually is it just it feels like it's such a different world to walk through compared to your sort of like 
you know, sort of gothic architecture or old castles or whatever it is you're wandering through in, De- in um, the other Devil May Cry games. Yeah. This makes the environments a super distinctive part of the package. Um, obviously, it starts with that kind of like fair by a pier. Um, but yeah, like loads of the, obviously the newscaster, like you say, seriously um, memorable part of this game. So yeah, deserves the reputation it has. It's a good pick, Matthew. Mm, yeah. Thank you. Right, what do we do next? Because there's, there's like... <laughs> There's some real top tier stuff that I want. Yeah, it's tough. Um, it's really tough. It's going to be pivotal these next few picks. Yeah. Oh, just, <laughs> just, there's some there's some huge castle heart picks that I just don't want. That I'll be wounded if I lose them. Yeah. Um, for dead franchise, I'm going to take a Kami. <gasps> Ooh, interesting. That I did not see that coming because I didn't even think you liked a Kami, but. Fair enough. Yeah, I think this counts. Obviously, there was a sequel to Kami Den, but that was more than 10 years ago. Yeah. There there have been HD, you know, remasters and re-releases of this game, but, like, a new Mikami is... A, a new Akami, <laughs> sorry, is, um, is uh, not happening. I mean, this is... I, basically, it's kind of Hideki Kamiya's Zelda. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's what happens when you do an action adventure. It still has you know, like the hallmarks of a Kamiya combat system and its heart, the way it kind of locks you into these arenas and you have to do brush strokes to sort of fight enemies. You can sort of see how, you know, there, you know, there, there are echoes in some of these other games, like the Wonderful 101, a bit more experimental. But what I really liked about this was just exploring that world, seeing the little side stories play out, the kind of the sense of adventure kind of, developing new powers and opening up the map more and more of those powers and of course just one of the most sort of iconic art styles of all time I and mean, this was a this was a game when i saw it on like psm2 dvds just feeling like holy shit like there is nothing that looks like that you know and you know we'd obviously come out of like wind waker having a similar effect but to see this you were like this is entirely out there and still kind of like no one's really done anything quite this like this really timeless style like that you know the hd versions still look great like you don't have to do much to for this game still to look great a really wicked sense of humor like the way it kind of uses these sort of mythological figures but also kind of like gives them all punchlines so i always think of like painting the star constellations to earn new powers and these like majestic celestial beings turn up but then they always like trip over or fall over sets of, sort of comedy sound effects you know it's it's kind of like majestic oafish at the same time really mischievous sense of humor like i'd probably say like one of one of Kamiya's like most likable games which maybe isn't you know a lot of these games have got a, a slightly harder edge to them so um yeah, I, you know, Akami, it's dead, and I can't see there being more of it. <laughs> no, even though I think it has sold like really well consistently over the years. So I think it's found the audience it always deserved at the time, but mm. didn't get as this end of the generation. This was the kind of game that killed Clover Studio. Basically, it's sort of like God Hand was one thing, but this was the game. This was the the game that I think they really invested in in terms of like giving it a big push and treating it as this big deal and then people didn't really want to know um because they were too busy playing gears of war uh, i'm not playing gears of claiming gears of war for akami's right. device but i think it's certainly a factor and that this art direction has just held up so well over the years um that like mm. you say like the 
This is this is the ultimate example of when people say technology doesn't matter with visuals and games. It's all about art direction. This is the game they use to make that case, and it's it's true. It looks as good now as it did in um, 2006 or 07 when it launched over here in Europe. A good pick, Matthew. This was also my pick for this category. Um, I have an, oh. I have another one, but um, this was um, yeah yeah this is up there for me. So a very also, good selection. also gave us the lull of um, Capcom making a Wii version and it having IGN watermark <laughs> on the box art. <laughs> yeah yeah, wasn't it um, Ready at Dawn who made that Wii version as well? That's yeah. that's kind of an interesting wrinkle. Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, it, I think this this is a yeah a really good pick to add like a bit of color to you um, the selection. You know. I'm not going to lie, I'm incredibly nervous about your next two picks. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see why that might be the case. Uh, okay, next up. Going to take Category 6, Shooter Kumi. Okay. Going to take Felix Wright, Ace Attorney. Okay. So, my rationale for this. I know that Matthew thinks another Ace Attorney game is the best in this series. I say that, as a standalone pick, the first game, the game that made me fall in love with this series is the one to take it's got like the cases that are incredibly memorable the broad the broad selection of like characters that are key to the series are introduced here your wendy old bags larry butzers and the like um Mm. the kind of sense of the balance of darkness and comedy that really that that really tonally brings this, this series to life that's in here at the same time you have the additional case from the DS version, which I think takes it like maybe one one nudge further than maybe the other ones have, because obviously you have the the extra. It's not as good as the other cases, but it is an extra bit of this game that you can play. Mm. And so, yeah, it was the one where I thought there's a chance Matthew might take this, but he'll probably pick his his dead fave instead. But yeah, Phoenix Wright's Attorney. It's the game that made me fall in love with that series. I had to have one from that series in this list, yeah. and that's the one. Thoughts, Matthew? Yeah, I mean, I'm still working out what I'm going to do with Ace Attorney and the rest of my draft, so um, I might keep my thoughts for then. But uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like you have to have you have to have this really in the mix yeah. um, if you're going to be doing a console like this. Um, I don't know that you can include the third game and it be satisfying. Yeah. So well picked, Samuel. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so. This is tough because it's like four or five categories I think are of identical importance here. But there's one more thing I think I just need to get out of the way here. And that is... Uh, I, I know what you're going to say. Just do it. <laughs> I almost want to make you guess. But no, I won't do that to you. Cat, uh, category three, remake. Going to take Resident Evil 2 remake. Oh, fucking course you're going to take Resident <laughs> Evil on the GameCube. Wait, well, not on the GameCube. I'm taking Resident Evil 2 remake, the modern version. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm, I'm curious to know where you're going there. But um, so yes, had to take Resident Evil 2 remake because of all the modern Resi games, this is the one that appeals to me the most. It is. It takes all of the kind of like set the setting and the story and the two um, sort of like versions of the campaign from Resident Evil 2, and then um, completely updates them for HD, brings those worlds to life in an incredible way. Um, make, sort of makes absolute gold out of the Mr. X idea as he stalks you through the police station something that is in the original game but here has so much life to it became such a sort of like amazing, accentuated that part of the game's DNA, amazing to revisit some of these settings again, less so the sewers they're not very interesting in this game (laughs) they're a tough hang the sewers but yeah, if it's going to be a modern resi game I think it has to be this one, I think that's the one uh, okay. So yeah, Matthew, you freaked out, but it wasn't the that wasn't what I picked. For you. Uh, so yeah, um, I think I know what you're going to pick for this for this category then. 
so we're, we bounce back to you. We bounce back to me. All right. <laughs> that's the. Uh, I've never heard you lose your shit about something I didn't pick before. That's like amazing. Yeah. I just I heard the words and I saw red. <laughs> no, I kind of like. Um, sometimes it's all about. It's about balance, right? There's. I thought you could only have one remake, and I wanted something that sort of straddled old and new. So this felt like the right one. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, uh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? See, some of these I think are safe and you're not going to touch. So you haven't picked Survival Horror yet? Nope. Very interesting. There's fucking loads of them, that's why. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, there are loads of them. And it's like, which one is the... Which one is, is, is after Resident Evil 4 and Resident Evil 2 Remake? Which is the one? I don't want to leave that too late and be forced to pick like the fucking Darkside Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> Clock Tower 3, that's the Matthew Castle bit. Oh, yeah, it all goes a little bit. Clock Tower 3. I did wonder um, if you might accidentally reverse into picking Darkside Chronicles or another light gun game and me go, yeah! <laughs> He's yeah, self-sabotaging again! <laughs> um, for Remake, uh, I'm going to take I'm gonna take Resident Evil 1 Remake on GameCube. Yeah, good pick. I think it's important in this mini console to acknowledge the origins of resident evil the kind of fixed camera perspective um that is an incredible remake like at the time i just couldn't believe what they've done with it still now i kind of look at it and think it's kind of unreal how good that looks and i'm sort of surprised more people haven't kind of stuck with that that kind of perspective given how good that game is um we talked about it on our resident evil episode just how cursed and evil it looks like it really sells you on this this terrifying house um like it's slightly diminished playing it after your first time like i remember playing this on gamecube and just the sense of dread and the kind of psychological willpower to push yourself into the next room and the idea of like every decision you make carrying such weight you know do i use my precious bullets on this zombie what happens if they come back as one of those fucking horrible red-headed zombies like just a, a very stressful time um i think it really holds up and um ticks off a, a kind of chunk of of Capcom heritage that I want to have on the list, so mm-hmm. I'm happy with that. Yeah, that's a good a good Matthew Castle pick, uh, sort of like you know peak sort of GameCube era Matthew Castle pick. And I know you talked about this one before, which is kind of why I left it for you a little bit. Oh, that's kind. Um, a good guy like that. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm annoyed. I made a scene now. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You got to have a bit of like shitting your pants on the on the air to like yeah, get the drama going. I really going. thought like I yeah. That one's. I wanted that. I wanted that specifically for remake. You see, so yeah. Um, for survival horror, uh, I get take uh, Resident Evil Seven. Oh, okay, interesting. Just to, just to reflect, like Resident Evil at the kind of other end of the scale. So if I've got Resident Evil GameCube representing like classic tank control Resident Evil, you know, first person Resident Evil is is just very very effective. Um, it's genuinely a really really scary game for the first few hours. Like uh, you know, up there is like horror experiences I've had. The kind of intensity of being stuck with the Baker family in their house, and you know, like a you know a, a proper kind of go at like this resident evil it's you versus a family of freaks in a, in a little domestic environment um i think it's less strong as it pushes into the, the later acts of the game um but 
uh, to kind of cr- cross uh, a, a selection of Resident Evil styles, I'll take this. I, I'd probably take it over, over Village for this draft, just purely on the grounds of like I think it's maybe like the scarier game, hmm. slightly more effective game, um, bar the one killer set piece in Village, obviously. So yes, I just want to yeah a good way of ticking off a, a rock solid modern Resident Evil. One of my most controversial takes is that this is like a 7 out of 10. And I stand by that a little bit. I think it's like it becomes the shooting goo monsters game. and It, do- it does, but like the opening with the family yeah. and when the guy walks through the wall and like those first couple of hours are really, really strong. I'd say, you know, up up until you fight the woman with like a beehive for an ass, um, <laughs> like that 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 game's pretty strong. And then you got like the saw bit, and that's fine. But I think once it once it hits like the boat, I'm I'm kind of out a little bit. Um, but don't let that colour your voting on this draft. Yeah, I, I really like Village. I didn't sort of like love it as much on a second playthrough. I think it's like that's maybe where there's a difference between these modern Resis and like Resi Four is the the replayability isn't quite there in the same way. Um, yeah, but you know. But it looks very nice, and I do agree that the opening chapters are very effective, Matthew. So you have to get some resi on the board, right? So um, yeah, makes sense. Okay, cool. So is it back to me? Yes. Fucking tricky to know which to go next with. I think I'm going to take modern classic, category eight. I'm going to take Devil May Cry five. Oh, okay, interesting. So I'm not really a monster hunter guy, and I weighed up pretending to be a monster hunter guy for this draft. But I, I already have to pretend to like fighting games on this podcast, so I'm not going to fucking like keep doing that for categories because it'll make for a really annoying draft. I'll be quite upset with the result. So I'll pick something that uh, aligns with my interests, which is hack and slash games. And Devil May Cry 5, largely viewed as a return to form for the classic Devil May Cry uh, sort of style of game after uh, i think it was an 11 year hiatus if you don't count dmc Mm. which you know i count dmc as a part of the series but certainly this specific vein of you know old dante capcom made devil may cry this was um a huge a huge deal three playable characters not super long the nicest this series had ever looked um as mechanically rich as it's ever been um just a real like sign of capcom modern capcom on fire just like fantastic they did this and resi 2 remake in one year and that is a one fucking hell of a year um for two games um two major games so always love devil may cry really weighed up picking devil may cry 3 which is a game i love um but think when you've got this on the table we're looking as nice as it does you've got to pick this over three i think even though i have a lot of affection for that series thoughts matthew yeah i i, I really really rate this game um I love how playful it is. You know, it's got three characters, all very different play styles, but within those characters, um, two of them at least are are very sort of um, malleable action presences. I love um, uh, Nero with his with his um, robotic arm, and you can like fire it off and surf about it. You can turn it into a grapple hook, all this kind of stuff. Um, just yeah, incredibly flamboyant, amazing boss fights, loads of boss fights. If you like bosses, this game's just like boss after boss after boss. And I quite like the the kind of uh, palette cleansers of the V levels where you're kind of uh, sort of steering these giant monsters. I guess kind of feels a bit like what mm. Bayonetta three would end up being, yeah. where you're kind of like a small presence controlling like a giant summon in the background. 
but with like that next gen shine as well incredibly pretty game this yeah absolutely um yeah just really really good and yeah widely available now and it's got shiny next gen edition you can play um yeah really really good and i uh, hope this series continues so i imagine i imagine that the team making this is probably working on dragon's dogma too um so yeah i guess we'll yeah. see i guess we'll see how that shakes out well they're both like is it it's sooner i think is the guy right right yeah so uh, and they're like both his games so yeah you imagine one isn't happening without the other yeah absolutely but hey you know that's uh it's worth it do it you know do it for screbs that's what like it says in his office i imagine do it for screbs <laughs> um okay cool time to get fighting game out of the way um i'm taking street fighter 3 third strike Okay, um, big big third strike guy. <laughs> I I was this weekend when I <laughs> bought the Capcom anniversary collection, crushed a whole bunch of them. Honestly, found mu- most of them to be much of a muchness. But what is I like about this game, which is the third edition they did of this game, they added a bunch more characters, and then it was made available on consoles. Is that it has like some of the nicest pixel art I've ever seen, like two D visuals, like the animations. Mm are just fucking beautiful. And this actually seems like a game that was maybe not as revered in its time as it should have been. Maybe because of the, as previously mentioned, like the slight sniffiness that there was towards 2D games from some critics in the late 90s, which is when this rolls around. But I think its reputation has grown over time. There seemed to be quite a big consensus that this was among the best Street Fighter games. Although that, again, like there are so many of them that people have different takes on this. But this is the one where I was kind of like the most taken with how it looks i guess um playing it so the mechanical sophistication of street fighter is still slightly beyond my skill set honestly in researching for this this category i also played uh, rival schools this past weekend um which right. was on one of the um uh sort of like uh, emulation naughty devices that i bought in uh, previous years that right, nice. that game is that game i enjoyed it's it's like about <laughs> basically like a roster of like kids from two schools beating each other up in rad looking backgrounds it's kind of like capcom's version of tekken it's like a 3d fighter um with amazing music and these quite cool combo abilities between characters you can do but i wasn't confident enough in it as a like pick that people would vote for even though i probably slightly preferred it to street fighter 3 third strike right um i should have gone with your heart pick yeah, and I think Rival Schools... You're a big Rival Schools guy now. <laughs> Rival Schools certainly has like some cult appeal that I think would maybe get a few people to vote for it, but Street Fighter also felt like the one where, oh, I should like I should like tick this off, even if I'm like not as good as it as I would want to be. Uh, so yes, that's what I'm going with, Matthew. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, like what I know about Third Strike is that someone very enthusiastically picked it on Simon Parkin's My Perfect Console podcast. Right. Um, the writer on Rick and, uh, Rick and Morty, uh, Heather, I've forgotten her surname. She, it was one of her five games mm-hmm. and she was just talking about how much she loved it. Um, I, I know that this is like the connoisseur's choice. I know because I asked some connoisseurs before this episode <laughs> of what the fuck I should pick for fighting. <laughs> and uh, loads of them were like, third strikes, kind of like the, if you want to like impress the fighting guys. Ah. Um, oh, right. So, I guess I picked well. You did pick well <laughs> and you did it without cheating. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I didn't ask anyone. I guess I did look up on Reddit what people think of Street Fighter. But yeah, there seemed so, to be, was it Street Fighter 2 Turbo? People seem to like that one. Uh, yeah. So, you know, there's so, other things yes. you can pick, Matthew, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, um, that's uh, Devil May Cry 5 and Street Fighter 3, Third Strike for me. What's your next pick, Matthew? Okay. Mm. Gets a bit weird from here, doesn't it? A little bit. Like, a f- well, there's a couple of things. There's, so there's, there's one thing which I know you'd be really annoyed about. 
Um, <laughs> there's but one, but there's one thing know, I know like... you'd be annoyed about, isn't there? Oh, I don't know. We are. Oh my god! Mutually assured destruction. <laughs> maybe. I know what you're talking about, but I wonder if you know what I'm talking about. But yeah. Uh, for m- modern classic, uh, I'm going to take Monster Hunter World. Mm-hmm. I have played a, f- a fair chunk of this. I've not played it into the hundreds, thousands of hours where you kind of get into the real interesting stuff. But you know, I've I've, I've played a decent chunk. Um, Monster Hunter, sort of series that's sort of escaped me. You know, I've I've kind of admired it from afar. I love the idea of a load of friends getting together to fight a, a beautifully modelled monster with all these kind of interesting sort of behaviours. It's basically a, a game of boss fights and with this added hook of seeing those bosses kind of behave like creatures, you know, they get a bit more tired. It really sells you on, like, the drawn-out slog of a fight in a way that few games do. Um, Monster Hunter World kind of, like, opens it up and it literally gets rid of the kind of partitioned arena design of the previous Monster Hunters, turns it into something a bit more open and sort of free-roamy, but kind of maintains these big smashing fights between monsters has the amazing stuff where like because the environment is a little bit more open monsters can meet each other and fight and you know steering monsters into another monster to try and like trigger a fight so they're distracted um like it's really impressive stuff like that feels like you know what would be a very scripted kind of scene in any other game can happen here quite organically i wouldn't go as far to say it's emergent but it's it's um very satisfying to behold but also tied to the you know the fundamental like core magic of fighting these monsters grinding out all their monster bits to make new weapons and equipment really feeling like ownership of the equipment you make because you have fought so hard for it and the idea of like pushing stuff up through the ranks and like really going after certain monsters you know with the hope of developing the equipment you really want this it has a, a really satisfying loop that you know if i didn't have the job that I have, you know, I could see myself losing a thousand hours too. <laughs> um, very, very like, yeah. And this, this is a great example of it. I, I, I haven't played, played um, Rise on the Switch and the subsequent one, which to me, whenever I saw Catherine playing it, it was always like people riding around, her riding around like a giant kind of cat thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it had maybe like, uh, like more of a vibe to it, but I, I kind of prefer. I almost preferred the slightly sort of broad, non-specificity of Monster Hunter World a little bit more. Plus, it's got a big monster who gets a really fat belly when he eats a mon- another monster, and then you can punch him in his belly until he pukes up, and then he's he feels so rotten you can just absolutely wail on him. And I've always like greatly sympathised with that creature. <laughs> that's me. At the, um, that's me getting beaten up by gym bros. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like quick, he's eating a whisper. Punch him <laughs> in his stomach so he'll really be out for the count. <laughs> that's how that fight. Would go down so yes monster hunter world you are anointed as my modern classic yeah you've played it so i'm gonna let you have it you know like it's <laughs> oh, <thanks. laughs> well that was the thing i just thought oh, i don't want to just pick a bogus entry for this so yeah, yeah. i get you uh, it is a nice looking game and i do wish i'd played it when other people played it um if you ever do fancy playing it matthew hit me up i'd like to give it a go yeah okay maybe i'll wait for the next one and jump in then that might be a good idea yeah whatever that will be for just because just I don't want to get nobbled, I don't think you would nobble me on this. I don't think you would go for it. On Shooter Kumi, I'm going to take Ghost Trick. Yep, makes sense. This is obviously what Shooter Kumi did uh, next, uh, or 
in a certain way what Shutakumi did next and then before. He obviously sandwiched himself between Ace Attorney projects. I get the feeling like he kind of wanted to be out of Ace Attorney and this was a great advert for why that should be allowed to happen. It is a 2D puzzle adventure with light visual novel elements. If you stack it up next to Phoenix Wright, there's barely any dialogue in this game. You play a ghost or a man who has died and can now uh, possess objects in the world around him who has to use that power to manipulate objects to save other people from death scenarios. It's kind of a reverse Final Destination. It's like someone's going to die. How can you set off a train reaction of objects to save their life instead? Um, Individually, those scenarios are brilliant. It's kind of got a kind of uh, sort of like, you know, Roadrunner, Wiley, Coyote sense of kind of like comic physics fun to it, the way you're trying to sort of set set these kind of traps up. But what really works and what maybe would surprise people is that it is one of the greatest bits of narrative design I've ever played in a video game. Um, The way he tells the story across one night, the way you end up in all the places you need to be to be a spectator in these scenes to tell that story across one night is really, really clever. The fact that you are a ghost allows you to go anywhere. it's, It's... there's a lot of very cool storytelling techniques hidden in the core concept of this game. I would love to... I don't want him to get make Ghost Trick 2, but I want him to make the next... Whatever the next Ghost Trick is for him. Hmm. You know, because he's... He, this is like, got some galaxy brain stuff. Um, oh, yeah, one of the best endings to, you know... Probably is like an arc of a story better than any of his Ace Attorney games, but... You know, a slightly different vibe, you know, like Ace Attorney is the kind of comedy of the writing here, it's the c- comedy of animation all drawn in this gorgeous style, but of course everyone's going to discover this when the HD remaster comes out and sells a billion copies as it deserves to do Yeah, one of the most surprising HD remasters of recent years that um, but pretty cool, mm. cool that they're doing that um, excited to discover it for myself without spending fucking 80 quid on a DS copy, that's good news for Big Sammy um yeah. <laughs> exciting times uh so still no ace attorney games in your list right matthew no okay. imagine if i made it all the way without one huh. so are you six picks in now yeah yes yeah okay do you want to compare like um what we've got so far yeah okay so for category one fighting game i've got street fire three third strike category three remake i've got resident evil two remake category six shoot takumi i've got phoenix Wright ace attorney Category 8, Modern Classic, I've got Devil May Cry 5. Category 10, Free Pick, I've got Resident Evil 4. I've got uh, Survival Horror, Resident Evil 7. Remake, Resident Evil GameCube. Dead Franchise, Akami. Shutakumi, Ghost Trick. Ill-Advised Western Spin-Off, DMC, Devil May Cry. Modern Classic, Monster Hunter World. Yeah, so two very good lists so far, as you'd expect. Uh, and I don't know. Resident <laughs> Evil Four, man. Yeah, but I'm I'm in a tough spot with that ill-advised Western spin-off thing. Like it was, that's the that's the great thing about this draft conceptually is it had to be a, a choice between that and Resident Evil Four as like <laughs> it's the category that's a dead end or it's Resident Evil Four. <laughs> like it's that was like the yeah. choice I had to make. Yeah. Okay. So next two picks. Let's add a bit of color to this list, shall we? So category nine wild card. Time to take God Hand. I think. Um, ah. That's, I decided not to take it earlier for free pick. I thought, you know, let's not do that. <laughs> well, I knew that your wild card was going to be fucking Zack and Wiki. So, you know, that was like, this felt safe. Oh, is that what you think, eh? Well, I mean, it could be Gregory Horror Show, but I mean... Oh, is that what you think, eh? I don't think you're that much of a put your, put a shotgun to your foot kind of guy to do Gregory Horror Show. I think you're like, 
you know, what's going to like, oh, what's going to carry it's this? Gonna, it might be a shock in there. Okay, interesting. Well, um, I don't think there will be, but it's some good misleading you're doing there. Anyway, so yes, God Hand, Clover Studios, Shinji Mikami directed game aimed at one guy who worked in his studio in terms of how they actually made it. Um, <laughs> that's literally what he says in that Archipel documentary. Um, pick one guy and made his perfect game. Um, really funny as an idea, but actually ends up with the most singular brawling game you'll ever play tonally ridiculous like a pre- preposterous over-the-top anime tone slightly lewd game not that pc by modern standards i'll be honest the fighting though is absolutely phenomenal 3d fighting in these bare bones simple environments but really intricate fighting system where you're using the second stick to dodge to um, go backwards and like um, scoot forwards sideways as you're evading enemies in a 3D space, chaining together these combos that you build using different components of the combo. So for every press of the square button, you choose what the square button is doing next as you build these combos, combined with these super powerful abilities where you will like uh, like boot a dude in the in the knackers and then like um slap him around a bit or like use a baseball bat to hit someone into like the sky um jesse and james and pokemon style with a little glint as they disappear off into the distance just absolutely personality led rock hard so so good and so underplayed still because it only ever came out on ps2 and then it was re-released on ps3 but has been nowhere else probably never will be that's what makes it the perfect wild card pick and a capcom draft thoughts matthew yeah i mean yeah but, yeah but i, I... The, one of the reasons I didn't pick this is I have quite a bad working memory of this game because I obviously lent my copy to Rich Stanton years ago and never got it back. Uh, so, uh, yeah, like R.I.P. Godhand. But, um, yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't take this one from you. Yeah, that's it's sort of like I did feel like was I doing that to you a bit with Phoenix Wright? But then I thought he had no, you no. had two picks straight up front. You could have t- just taken one if yeah, you really cared the, about it's it. That's the draft. That's what it's about. Yeah, yeah. So at Godhand, I thought, yeah, it's just it's the quintessential Samuel Roberts um, uh, wild card. So yeah. Um, yeah. Next up, I'm going to take retro game older than 20 years. Going to take Dino Crisis. Someone asked the question, "What if we made Resident Evil almost exactly the same, but with dinosaurs?" It was great. Uh, Dino Crisis. <laughs> This is a game that um, I mentioned earlier that, like, the OG kind of, like, sort of um, sort of survival horror games, when I was, like, 11 or 12, never saw the end of any of them. It was always incredibly glacial progress and a lot of, like, me and a friend playing them nervously and talking to each other a lot so we weren't as scared as we would be playing it alone, but then inevitably getting too scared anyway. And, like, that's what I remember of playing Dino Crisis at my friend Reese's house, just these... This kind of like Resi via Jurassic Park sort of like setting, basically. And um, yeah, still beloved years later. And uh, I don't think you can ever have too much uh, survival horror on your list when it comes to Capcom. So yes, this is my third pick in that genre. Dino Crisis. Plus, I couldn't really find a retro game this old that I have a relationship with from Capcom, Matthew, other than Resident Evil games. So this is the right one. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. No no, no problems with that. Um <laughs> Uh, could also pass as a Shutakumi game. Yep, that's true. Um, he had involvement in this. Um, he directed the second one, I think. But I think he was like a planner on this. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I kind of yeah. I don't. It's not a series I have like a huge connection to. So I'm kind of like intrigued to see if they do bring it back. But um, I, it always always sort of felt to me a little bit like what if Resident Evil, but like just 
endless hunters, you know? Right. Like, it's a lot more, like, aggressive enemy types, but that does give it its own, like, its own sort of reason to exist, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. Like, I wouldn't necessarily say it's, like, Resident Evil 2 in terms of how seminal it is, but it does have quite a big reputation these days still. Yeah. Like, it's... You just there still just aren't enough games with dinosaurs in them, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, those are my two picks, um, Matthew. So I think it's on. To and you. that was your dead. That was for dead franchise, was it? No, that was for retro game older than twenty years. Oh, you haven't picked survival horror yet, have you? Nope. Mm, interesting. What are you going to go for for that? Dino Crisis Two. <laughs> you have to see, won't you? Go for the double whammy. Uh... Going to take the Chris Redfield free DLC for Resident Evil Seven. Mm. <laughs> There's a retro game that I don't know at all, but I want to play because you've told me about it and it sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know the one you mean. Yeah. But, like... That's a backup option for me in one of these categories. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Uh, but I have got a heart pick for retro, so... Yeah. DuckTales? I don't... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh. DuckTales is fine. Mm. By the way, very... did you ever think about Power Stone when you were making these lists? Uh, I did look into it, but I just have no. It's I not no that good, Matthew. It. It's not that good. That was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I discovered this in 2007, right? I bought that Cap- that Power Stone <laughs> collection on PSP, and admittedly, I only ever played it against the AI. But it's like Smash Bros on a 3D plane, and it's like it's not nearly as sophisticated as some of these other fighting games. That was my take on Power Stone. It's like it's fine, but I imagine it was much more exciting when you're playing it on a Dreamcast in like the late 90s, you know, mm, mm. or early noughties rather. For fighting game, I'll go Ultra Street Fighter 4. Interesting. Only because in my... uh, I created in my brain trust of fighting experts. (laughs) (laughs) The team, the executive Uh, team behind Matthew Castle's draft. (laughs) (laughs) Um... This, I, I, you know, I was like, listen, guys, I'm looking for something which is kind of like quite an accessible pick. You know, I don't I don't think like one fighting game is going to like impress fighting game connoisseurs enough for them to want to buy my mini console. <laughs> so like, what's just the thing that we can like have some fun with? Um, Ultra Street Fighter 4 came up um, described uh, as probably like closest in character to like a modern version of street fighter 2 in terms of like it's all your old friends from street fighters 2 except they look really amazing most of their moves are the sort of same you can sort of recognize a lot of their behaviors uh, except you know it obviously has this hd sheen to it um but at the same time it has that kind of deeper level i had the the most i've played this game was um rich stanton again trying to teach me to play street fighter when we lived together i think mainly because if i'd really gotten into it he would have had like endless street fighter games on tap because i I would have just been there to play with him but i was so shit at it but um for like a week i did play it um based on this little tutorial and you know i love the feel of it i do love this uh, you know i love the idea that like you know, the inputs you knew 20 years ago when you were a kid still do the same thing that they do now, except it looks really cool. I love the, you know, whatever the special moves are called where the camera goes in and you do the really mega hits where their eyes bulge in slow motion, all those kind of uppercuts. What is that, that ultra meter? I don't know, that that sort of dynamic to it. This is how little I know about this <laughs> game I'm choosing for my mini machine, but fuck it, this is the fighting game I know most about. <laughs> So uh, that's it. Take it or leave it. It's Ultra Street Fighter 4. Thanks, Nathan Brown. (laughs) 
Okay, very good. Did you one third strike out of uh, interest? Was that like the one you were going to try and get? Uh, well, that was my other one. So I thought you'd go for one of these two, and I'd just take the other. Yeah, it was. I was actually going to pick uh, Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom Three if you got this. I thought, well, I'll just counter program oh, okay. then instead. But um, I did at least like play this, uh, play the one I picked, and think, oh, this has real merit. So you know, that's. Uh, I played this one but years ago and I don't remember it. <laughs> I, but um, I'm sure it was good. Picture your brain trust much like when you like watch those cutscenes with loads of like Yakuza lieutenants in them, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I'm Nathan Brown, your sort of Kuze, you know what I mean? Like I just picture everyone in kind of suits with really detailed faces. Uh... Um Yeah, that's good. Uh so you got another pick here, right? Yes. It gets really weird at this point. Like it's like still things are not settled, strangely. I'm still moving things around. Yeah. For free pick, I'm going to pick Beautiful Joe. <gasps> Fuck! Okay, there goes my dead franchise pick. Bollocks. <laughs> All right, sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> Obviously, uh, yeah, uh, another of sort of Kamiya's weird experience. This was this was pre-Akami. This was the game which they then split off to make Clover, basically from the Beautiful Joe team, is, is how I remember it. This is a 2D sort of side-scrolling brawler where you play as... Uh, uh, Joe, who turns into beautiful Joe, this this uh, superhero who uses the 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 power of film editing techniques to empower his own fighting. So he can slow down time, he can fast forward, uh, he can zoom in the camera to kind of like amplify the damage he does, but at the same time amplifies the risk he takes. Um, I feel like when this game came out, a lot of people were trying to do stuff with like bullet time and how cool fights looked in slow motion and you know we were still living in the aftermath of the matrix this was a really really interesting take which probably like mechanically did a lot more with it in terms of like the game is about like dodging attacks to sort of uh not stun but kind of stagger i guess your enemies so you're then stronger against them the fact that it takes those sort of cinematic time messing special effects and like acknowledges them directly by having them as these editing techniques at your sort of disposal i think it's really interesting like the actual world of it isn't quite my cup of tea like the 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 kind of you know joe himself you know it isn't like my most beloved character but it's you know definitely a singular action game incredible pace you know on on gamecube this seemed so exciting that we were getting this and it really nothing else quite plays like it so um you know maybe i'm putting too many eggs in my um akami cameo basket nah but, it's a good basket know. let's face it um yeah i mean it's a fucking good basket i mean try being me in the noughties and playing devil may cry beautiful joe and Akami in like several years and think and not thinking Hideki Kamiya is my guy because right. that was exactly the experience I had. Basically reinvent 3D action games, hack and slash games, to then make this like, yeah, like platformer with this French art infused like um, visual design that has all this sl- all these like slow m- ways it plays with time basically to um, mm. make the mechanics feel good like a real sense of thump when you hit enemies in this and they go mm. flying off a really nice feeling side scrolling experience and then to go and make Akami which is something else that's completely different I mean an absolute all timer run there mm. so yeah um, good pick Matthew I am sad I didn't get it but it serves me right I should have taken this before I took Dino Crisis fuck well done <laughs> um, those are your two picks right Yes. Cool. Okay. Well, I've got the ultimate consolation prize for Category 5 Dead Franchise, which is Onimusha 2 Samurai's Destiny, one of my favorite games ever made. 
This is by far the best entry in this series, which was very much like uh, a sort of like a midpoint, I guess, between between Resident Evil and Devil May Cry in terms of like it had the fixed camera angles and slight survival horriness of Resident Evil, but combined with this hack and slash gameplay in this um, period Japanese setting where Nobunaga was the ultimate villain who basically like made some demon pact and unleashed all these monsters in Japan and you had to fuck the monsters up and fuck him up too. The first one where you play as Samanosuke um, was an early PS2 game. Samanosuke being this very boring man, boring uh, samurai man carrying a sword. A really, really dull dude. Some of the worst voice acting in like any any game is in Onomusha, um Warlords, the first one. The second one, you play as... Uh, also got some bad voice acting. <laughs> um, you play as uh, Jubei Yagyu. Um, who is modelled on a Japanese actor whose name I can't remember. He's been dead for a long time, but he was in, I think he was in a Ridley Scott film years, years before. This completely changed things up by basically establishing this character relationship mechanic where you would have to give characters gifts to basically buy their favour. You're introduced to these four characters early on. There's this, like, um, basically like this sort of like queen in disguise, sort of like sword master lady. Kotaro is like a ninja dude who like jumps between different buildings and has these really agile attacks. You have this guy who's like a dude who just like has loads of firearms. He's a firearms expert. And um, he basically like starts with like a rifle, but can basically get a machine gun and a flamethrower um, throughout the game. Um, there's also a, a like a fat monk with a big spear. Um, and they all have different upgradable sort of like they have different upgradable weapons and armor you can give them so you can basically kit out these characters early in the game and then based on the items you traded with them there are like branching story paths that will unlock if you have a good enough relationship with them so they'll turn up in different instances in the game and the game will change because they're there and you can and they also have like a playable section in the game where essentially their side quest takes over your character is like incapacitated or imprisoned or something you play as that other character and you see all these cutscenes where they basically buddy up and they're pals. So it's kind of like this branching Mass Effect style thing, but retrofit into this like Capcom sort of third person structure. So fucking good. I absolutely loved it at the time. First time I went through, I basically just the gunsmith. I was like, I'm just, I just want this dude to like me. He's into history books. I'm gonna give him every fucking boring history book I can until he likes me. <laughs> Did that side quest, but kept playing it and playing it until I got every single one of these characters. Um, like pass unlocked in a single playthrough absolutely loved maxing out this system one of my favorite most replayable games Matthew had been waffling on for ages but uh, it's a hot pick I think Beautiful Joe was a slightly better pick for the draft but this is a game I love and uh, no shame about having Onimusha represented here thoughts yeah no like I, I genuinely toyed with picking this just because I've heard you talk about it so much um, I'm surprised it was only a backup given how much it like it, it you know it means to you as a heart pick um mm. i haven't played it i would like to play it um it sounds fucking rad uh and you've always talked about this game brilliantly so um sounds like a good pick to me yeah some of my favorite video game music as well just really um does a lot of heavy lifting where the tone is maybe like dragged down by some slightly naff cutscenes. um much prefer this to the jean renault on amisha 3 
Okay. Might as well leave Ill-Advised Western Spin off to the end because no competition on the remaining games in that one, I imagine. You don't want to go out on a high. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Um, no, I'm just going to like de-risk this and take Category 2 Survival Horror and I'm going to complete my collection of survival horror games here by picking the original Resident Evil 1996. Oh, okay. Absolutely transformational game. You know, basically like was the rebirth of this genre essentially i know that alone in the dark predated it but who cares this is still an incredibly classy and cool game that is visually distinct from the gamecube remake that matthew picked um after we did our resident evil episode i was encouraged by uh ben symes scientologist on twitter to check this out and enjoy it in its own right and that was a good call there is something to be said about resident evil in this form it's like this mixture of incredibly goofy, like everyone knows the kind of live action intro and also some of the kind of like really weird duff dialogue in there, combined with genuine touches of class, ways in which the game branches a little bit based on whether you're playing as Chris or Jill, the mansion setting still being like the, arguably the, you know, the kind of like the platonic ideal of what a, a, a Resident Evil setting should feel like. It's, you know, it's such a, such powerful foundations are like formed here. This is, um, this is the complete package in the, in like one game. And so I've got this, I've got Resident Evil 2 Remake, and I've got um, Resident Evil 4, which I feel like that covers like the the history of that series yeah. really nicely. Yeah, it's pretty strong. Yeah, so uh, yeah, yeah, I'm very happy with that pick. Um, I knew Matthew wouldn't pick it after picking Resident Evil Remake, which is why I left it so late. So Matthew, we go on to your final two picks, I believe. Okay, uh, so for Retro Game, I'm going... Listen... This may this may torpedo it, but I'm going with a I'm going with a a game I I genuinely really really like. Um, I'm going with for deep breath. Dungeons and Dragons: Shadow over Mistara. Oh wow! I I know nothing about this game. So uh, this is uh, actually it's an arcade game that got re-released along with the game uh, the game that came before it, uh, which is called Tower of Doom as Chronicles of Mistara. I think 360 generation, maybe Xbox One generation. Anyway, about about 10 years ago, they packaged these up, which is how I played them. But originally an arcade game. Um, It's basically just a really, really kick-ass version of Golden Axe um, set in the Dungeons & Dragons universe. So, uh, you know, you're side-scrolling through big, chunky 16-bit environments. They look really gorgeous. Um, you know, pressing lots of buttons, you know, like Streets of Rage or the Turtles games, that that kind of vibe. Except the D&D of it is that the character class is a little bit more thought out. They have a kind of a, a, an inventory of items that they can use. So their actual moveset is a little bit wider than you might expect from one of these games. Uh, also, you know, if you play as a warrior, you've obviously got like a sword and there's lots of like combo moves in it, which have a little bit of like fighting game kind of DNA in them. Um, but what's really interesting is that there's like a mage character who is obviously pitiful at any combat, but has basically an entire wheel of spells to use, and they're just like spectacular special attacks. Uh, special attacks that they're dunking. There's like a cleric who can uh, heal characters. So there is actually, you know, if you choose to play four-player co-op, you know, there is a little bit of kind of like party 
uh, craft going on, uh, you know, characters that can kind of heal each other. So I think it kind of moves that side-scrolling brawler kind of up a notch into something a little bit more interesting. It's got lots of branching paths so that you can play the campaign several times and go to different places. just feels a lot more substantial than some of these games that are quite throwaway. Obviously, we're not allowed compilation, so I'm going with the original, just <laughs> the Shadow of Mystara, because it is the sequel. It's slightly, slightly more advanced, slightly more nuanced than... Um, than everything in Tower of Doom. Mm. Yeah, like, I know it's a weird pick, but uh, I thought it would be nice to have the side-scrolling part of Capcom in there. You know, I was looking at, like, Final Fight, or there's um, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, things like that. But, um, yes, Shadow Mistara, you are the one. Yeah, I think that um, it's too tempting to, like, not do a heart pick in this draft. But I think, like, I just think that, like, it's better than being pretending to like Dragon's Dogma, do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I do. I do like Dragon's Dogma, but I don't like it, you know, enough for it to be. A, yeah, a, it, it's neither heart pick nor an absolute like stone cold killer in my book. Yeah, rather which, I should say a game that I don't have the same relationship with as some of these other games. You know what I mean? Like it's that's yeah. why I think it's a good pick. This is a sort of thing that one person on Twitter will be like, "Oh, that's like a game I loved, and I will pick this based on that." That's got that kind of energy to it, you know. Yeah, well, well, I look forward to that one vote shaping the outcome of the poll. That's fine. Just fucking WhatsApp your family like you normally do, and they'll just come. Oh, bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> you said that on episode 100 when we were confessing truths, the persona oh. thing. <laughs> yeah, but that was like, and that was true, but also, like, <laughs> don't, use con- don't use the confess truths against me. <laughs> oh, yeah, episode 100 is non canon, isn't it? That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> what happened in episode 100 stays in episode 100. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we haven't talked about it much on here since. I think it was just regarded as a masterpiece. I've got such a good idea for episode 200. I pitched it to Matthew. Ooh. I pitched it to Matthew already, but I don't know how he feels about it, actually. Probably too stressed thinking about the idea of 200 episodes. Oh, no, I know. Yeah, I do know the idea. Yeah, yeah it's a good idea. Yeah. It's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. So, wild card. For my wild card, and this is this, if, if tell you what, if you didn't like fucking Chronicles of Mystara, you're not going to like this one. I am picking Glass Rose. You've picked no Ace Attorneys. I have picked no Ace Attorneys. I think you basically sunk Ace Attorney by picking the first one. That was the goal, yeah. I did do that. I couldn't pick... I think Trials and Tribulations is the best one, but only is the payoff to the other two. Mm. Um, I didn't want to pick Apollo Justice. Great Ace Attorney doesn't feel doable because of the... because of the. Co- it is a compilation. It is, basically, yeah. It's, um, that's, that's tough. So that, that rules out. So, yeah, I'm going with Glass Rose, which, of course, everyone knows... It's a Capcom publish made by Sing. It is a very early Sing game, point and click game, uh, in which a man uh, time slips from modern day back to the 1929 as he explores a mansion which became the site of a horrific murder that he was investigating in the present day. And, uh, you know, it's it's the beginning of, of what Sing would go on to do. It's written by the same writer as Hotel Dusk, Last Window. It isn't highly regarded. Like I'm, I'm trying to upsell it massively here. Edge three out of ten, Matthew. I, I was about to say I will say it got a three out of ten in Edge, so you have to know the full picture here. But like Edge back then, sometimes got it wrong. Forty-one on Metacritic. So it wasn't just it. I'm ending with a forty-one on Metacritic. But listen. It's a sing classic. This game is fucking expensive to buy. Where else are you going to get this but on my mini console? It has one genuinely fun idea, is that when you're talking to people, instead of like dialogue trees, you highlight 
words of their text that you want to talk about to kind of drill into deeper. So it has this sort of the way Singh was was trying to kind of capture like the idea of investigation and interrogation was having this idea where you kind of like drilled deeper and deeper into the sort of statements people were making to you, which is, you know, not wholly successful, but definitely interesting. Like digitized sprites. I think the main character is like a Japanese pop star of the day. He looks uh, it on the box. I will say that. Yeah, right. It's kind of naff, but listen, this make this is a true a true castle. It's not even a heart pick. It's just uh, if I can't have my precious Ace Attorney, I'll get a bit of sing on there and uh, see if that swings the vote. <laughs> I see the pan shitting has begun. It's good. Um, no, I like this pick. Um, I had no. I've I've heard of this game. I didn't know it was a sing game, unless actually we might have discussed it in a previous episode very briefly. I think maybe. But yeah, uh, wow, okay. Forty-one out of a hundred on Metacritic. PS2 game. I did not see that coming. Um, I thought. So, what category is this again? Wild cards. Okay, yeah, yeah. I guess. Like, I mean, that's that's the very definition of a wild card. It really is. Like I thought, <laughs> Gregory Horror Show seems like a commercially like wise decision compared to this. Um, yeah, but the thing is, I've done Gregory Horror Show in the PS2 draft as my wild card. I keep can't keep relying on it. <laughs> for my wild card i've got to mix it up i've got to try different tactics yeah i thought about auto modelista for this category as well um oh, okay but it's just not quite good enough like just but it looked really really nice for the time um just like yeah. cell shaded racing game interesting matthew like uh i won't make fun anymore because i think that's it that is a legit interesting pick and it makes me confident to um shit my own pants with my next pick a little bit so yeah that's it yeah pants shitters of the world unite well why pretend that you know, things everyone says are good are, are things that I enjoy. I might as well just be uh, true to myself and pick for Category 7, ill-advised Western spin-off, Bionic Commando, the Western oh, made. Oh, there we go. Um, yeah, so I can, <laughs> I, for this one, it was going to be a game with Bionic Commando in the title. It was just a question of which one. In the end, I decided to go with 2009 Bionic Commando, the uh, sort of like full HD game they made, uh, made at, uh, fuck, I've forgotten their name now. It was Grin. Remember Grin? Grin, Grin yeah. made like four games in a row, then just shut down. It was a really strange time. Um, these days, it had been brought by bought by Embracer Group or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so yes, it's um, this game is like a sort of like a shooter, but the main mechanic really is platforming in three D spaces using this grappling hook. And I think, despite the reviews being like a little bit seven out of ten. This game really nailed the feeling of that grappling hook to basically made a game that feel like felt like a super hardcore Spider-Man, basically, um, mm. where you just had to attach it to the right surfaces. You had to point the stick in the right direction. It was a really mechanical and demanding game at a time where people were making fewer games like that, I would say. Um, yeah. And that's one of the reasons I've got a lot of affection for it. The thing I would hold against it is it looks quite drab for a Capcom game. Capcom's like art is generally like amazing across their games, so this stands out as being a bit brown um, and of the day. Mm. But in terms of like some of the environments and this kind of post-apocalyptic landscape are quite have quite a have quite a distinctive feel to them. It's at its worst when it's kind of like doing the combat stuff. But I really think that like my my sense memory of what it feels like to connect his bionic arm to a surface and then kind of like hook up there and swing up onto a surface i just remains with me as like a really satisfying mechanic so i thought mm. about picking something else i thought briefly about the dead rising games but they seem to be a bit of diminishing returns and people, See, people only I, really I, love I, the first one you know yeah well i i i, I if if you had taken 
DMC, I was going to go Dead Rising 2. Yeah. As as probably the most acceptable one. And the crafting, the weapon crafting, like, you can put drills in a bucket and then put the bucket on a on a zombie's head to drill their face. Mm. Like, that's pretty good. But Dead Rising just goes on to be like a big old nothing, so it leaves a bit of a bit of a bitter taste. <laughs> yeah, and like, this is not a universally beloved game. This is it, a 71, no, I, 70 not, on Metacritic. Um, yeah, not what I thought you were going to pick. Yeah, but I think, like... Fuck it, a heart pick. Why not? In amongst some Isn't stuff. Isn't his that's... arm his wife? <laughs> yeah, that is part of the part of the game, I believe. Um, I played through it twice in a row. I must have really liked it at the time. It's just like I don't know. It's just a. It's maybe a bit more personality away from being regarded as like a Capcom cult classic. I think, but it's just just yeah. it just looks a bit too much like it was trying to slot into a landscape of CODs and battlefields and the like. Well. But yeah, but the the climb the the platforming mechanics uh, make it distinctive in my book that's my final pick matthew uh you, you could have biffed this category much harder you could have gone dark void which which sucks um, <laughs> which was around the similar time and was also about like creative like traversal so i, I think i grouped this and that together but bionic commander i definitely know has its champions you, such as you right now yeah i think there was maybe like a Eurogamer piece on it a few years ago in like one of those wasn't this a good seven out of ten kind of like um right. articles i might be imagining that but um yes um got a six from edge by the way just in case just to make it fair with the old glass rose comparison <laughs> well, you're still three higher than fucking glass rose <laughs> <laughs> okay matthew we're done oh i don't know how i feel about this this is like quite a Goes all over the place. I might lose having no Monster Hunter. Let's see. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Monster Hunter, arguably the best bit of a recent Oscar-nominated uh, <laughs> movie, Matthew. Okay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Category 1, fighting game. I've got Street Fighter 3 Third Strike. I've got Ultra Street Fighter 4. Category 2, survival horror. I've got Resident Evil 1996. I've got Resident Evil 7. Category 3, remake. I've got Resident Evil 2 remake. I've got Resident Evil remake on GameCube. Category 4, retro game. I've got Dino Crisis. I've got Dungeons and Dragons Shadow over Mystara. Category 5, dead franchise. I've got Onomusha 2 Samurai's Destiny. I've got Akami. Category 6, Shooter Kumi. I've got Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. And I've got Ghost Trick. Category 7, ill-advised western spin-off. I've got Bionic Commando, 2009. I've got, I've got DMC Devil May Cry. Category 8, modern classic. I've got Devil May Cry 5. I've got Monster Hunter World. Category 9, Wildcard. I've got God Hand. I've got Glass Rose. Category 10, Free Pick. I've got Resident Evil 4. And I've got Beautiful Joe. Two very good lists there, Matthew. Um, with like maybe one or two stinkers per list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think Resident Evil 4, God Hand, that's 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 pretty tight combo for you. I don't know. You've got a lot of games with cult appeal. And I think the yeah. games that appeal to people who listen to this podcast, that's like, that's the tough thing. Like, No Ace Attorney. That's tough. I know, it, was, it, it was bold to sacrifice. I felt like, oh, this doesn't feel right, but I had to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a really difficult series to nail in this draft, though. I do agree. Um, yeah. That's tough. Um, nonetheless, those are two very good lists. If you'd like to vote for the winner, at BackPagePod on Twitter. Matthew, this is a lot of fun. It was quite tense. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's been we waited so long to draft again. It felt quite fresh doing it again. To be honest, yeah, um, it was good. It was fun. This was a good topic. I, I wonder if there's other studios we can do this for. Yeah, I don't know, or developers, or like you know, individual yeah. developers, or I don't know. We'll th- we'll think about that. We still want to do the Game Boy draft this year. You got that in you? Yeah, at some point I still need to just find some original Game Boy games that don't make me hurl. So. <laughs> that aren't just James Bond uh, 007. Yeah. Uh, okay. Good. 
yes, thank you very much for listening. Like I say, vote for us um, on Backpage Pod. We'll talk about the winner in a future episode. The poll will be up for a week after this episode goes live. If you enjoy this podcast, patreon.com slash backpagepod. If you'd like to support us and hear more about uh, our thoughts on 16-bit games this year, that's going to be our Excel episode um, this month, rather. So you can uh, go and back us. £4.50 tier will get you a whole bunch of extra podcasts per month. And uh, Matthew, where can people find you on social media? At Mr. Basil underscore pesto. I'm Samuel Double Roberts on Twitter. We're backpagegames at gmail.com if you'd like to email us. And we'll be back next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.